unfortunately it seems from reading you know um some of the public columns and talking to people that financial advisors will often tell people still um to have quite a bit in bonds you know reading around talking to people whatever um and particularly as people age they're, they're encouraged still in these sort of lifestyle funds and whatnot to have more and more and more in bonds as they approach retirement or get or are in retirement but if you're going to be retired for 20 years why would you have almost all your money in something that's yielding less than zero or zero or half a percent or whatever the number is some pathetic yield why would you do that for 20 years that's crazy hello and welcome to the fortune and freedom podcast we hope you sit back and enjoy this episode For decades now, bonds have played a crucial role in almost any investor's portfolio. These are loans to governments and to companies, which pay interest, but they also have a market price and can be bought and sold on a market just like stocks. Since about the 80s, bond prices, broadly speaking, have been rising, which means that as investors reinvest their money, they earn ever lower returns. This has reached completely absurd proportions over the last few years, with many bonds having either zero yield some having a negative yield, meaning that investors lose money. And a huge chunk of bonds actually have negative real yields, which means that adjusted for inflation, investors are losing money. I'm joined by Rob Marstrand to talk about just how absurd this trend has got, whether it can continue, what happens next, and whether people should still own bonds in their portfolio as much as they're encouraged to do. I know, Rob, thanks for joining me, I should say, first of all. Hi, Nick. Pleasure to join you. I know that You find it interesting that financial advisors, generally speaking, advise most people to hold bonds, and you're concerned about whether that advice still applies. Tell me your reasoning behind that, because I'm sure it's complete heresy to most people. Well, you know, to be honest, for most of the last 40 years, owning a big allocation to bonds in your portfolio has made a lot of sense. You know, you could get decent yields on bonds. Um, So if you went back to the sort of early 80s, you might make sort of high single digits or even low um, teens sort of yields, the sort of interest, if you like, that you get every year on your bond investments. And over time, if you own very, very long dated bonds, so if you let essentially if you lend money to the government, let's say, or a high quality company for 30 years, as yields have come down, which basically means as investors have required a lower and lower return to lend money to governments or corporations, what happens when yields come down on long dated bonds, the prices go up. And so actually, investors for a long period of time have made sort of equity type returns for supposedly low risk investments. So high, high returns for supposedly quite low risk. So, so bonds were very, very attractive for a very long time. The trouble is now we're in this sort of ludicrous position where huge numbers of bonds, vast quantities, trillions of dollars uh, or pounds, if you like, around the world of government bonds and some of the best quality um, corporate bonds actually pay a negative yield. So if you buy the bond today and hold it until maturity, when, when the loan gets paid back, if you like, you, will, you are actually guaranteed to lose money, which is just an absurd situation to be in. Now, if you like, I can explain why that's happening. But uh, what it essentially means, I think, is that bonds are extremely unattractive. And, you know, really, the old advice of holding, let's say, 40% of your money in bonds doesn't, to me, make any sense at all. Yeah, before we get to what's going on there, because the explanations are fascinating, I just want to make it really clear that the bond market has had three sorts of tailwinds over the last 80, uh, since the 80s. And one of those has been falling inflation. So as inflation goes down, 
bond investors make more money and you know, adjusted for inflation because the, the money that they're going to get paid back in the future hasn't been devalued as much. There's also the capital gain story, as you pointed out, that the bond price can move. And in the story of falling yields and falling inflation, bond prices go up. So people have been making capital gains. And then there's the story of high yields relative to, to the, the rates of inflation and high yields relative to what's being paid each time the yield curve gets lower and lower. So bonds have made a huge amount of sense for the last 40 years for those, for those three reasons. But we've sort of overshot the point where they make sense, right? So what caused that overshooting? Well, I think there's an awful lot of different factors, but um, primarily, well, over time we have had this general, what we might call disinflation, so falling inflation rates over time. Um, and there are various reasons for that. I mean, one of, one of the reasons for that, for example, is that a lot of manufacturing got moved off to places like China or other parts of the Far East. And that meant that the price of a lot of daily goods like toys and clothes and, all that, and computers and phones and all that type of stuff got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And that allowed uh, uh, central banks to get away with keeping interest rates uh, very low because inflation had this sort of downwards pressure on it over time. Um, at the same time, you know, it's quite difficult to pin this exactly, but uh, what's known as the velocity of money has fallen. So as, as the amount of money in the system has increased over time, the rate at which it moves around, so if, so if you like how much it gets spent or how often it gets spent has, has fallen over time. Now, exactly why that is, is quite difficult to put a, you know, exactly pin down. I suspect it's to do with aging populations or at least part of it is. So as people get older, they're more likely just to sort of leave their money in the bank and they don't go out on, you know, and, and, and spend it on fancy things so much. They're more worried about just keeping a, a sort of pot to keep them safe in old age. So that might be part of it. But anyway, so this trend has been happening for a long time that, that inflation has been coming down and, uh, and with it interest rates. Um, but then we got to the global financial crisis, which sort of really got started in 2007, although it didn't really hit badly until late 2008. Um, and the banks got in big trouble, but then the central banks sort of stepped in and started printing electronically, printing in quotes, creating vast amounts of money under those programs known as quantitative easing or QE. Um, and usually that would be very inflationary, but there was an offsetting impact, which was that the commercial banks were in a, in a bad way and couldn't do what they usually do, which is to, to lend lots of money. They actually had to shrink their balance sheets because of new stricter regulations over uh, how much capital they have to have and how much, how many liquid assets, which is a factor here, they have to have. Um, and so essentially that, that extra buying plus some changes in, in, in regulations, uh, I don't know how much detail you want on that, but um, essentially that, that created a, a lot of people that are essentially either manipulating the market, if you like, by, by just having a mandate to, to buy up loads of bonds or are sort of forced to by regulations, so banks, insurance companies, pension funds, essentially, they're not forced, but there are such strong incentives uh, within the regulations, they have little alternative other than to buy up loads of lower risk, lower risk in quotes, government bonds like gilts. Um, and that suppresses the yields. So now we've got to this point where the, where the yields are just absurdly low, as I said, in many cases, uh, actually negative, which makes them extremely negative compared to inflation. So you're really losing money uh, versus inflation if you buy these things um and therefore i think for for private investors you know it's very difficult to make a case for for why 
you should have a big allocation to them, if any. Most of those causes, it strikes me, are, are government and central bank policies being imposed, sometimes intended consequences, sometimes unintended consequences. Is all of this, broadly speaking, just another example of you know, the everyday investor being, well, I don't know what the polite word is, being uh, put into a difficult situation by the central banks and by governments? in that they've been told to hold all these bonds, but their, their yield has gone negative, so it's not paying out anything. It, it just seems like a, another scam. Well, look, it, it does make it very difficult for private investors because any investor, no matter what type of investor you are, but any investor should have a range of assets in, in, within their investments or their portfolio that gives them diversification because you don't know what's going to go up or down, you know, from one day to the next. You can have theories about it, but the reality is you never know. So you want to hedge your bets a little bit. Now, the trouble is you don't want to just diversify for the sake of it. So you don't want to diversify into bad assets. So what you're trying to do is have a range of assets that will perform at, at well over the sort of medium to long term, but won't necessarily all perform well or badly at the right time. In fact, ideally, you want them to perform at different times. So what would typically happen in the past, you had, you know, say 60% in the stock market, 40% in bonds, stock market ticks long, you know, makes you some nice money most years, bond market pays you the little interest, you know, the interest yield of say 5% a year or whatever, in those days. And then from time to time, the stock market will have a big setback, a correction, or sometimes a crash, like we had it back in sort of 08, 09. When that happens, you'd expect your high quality bonds, your gilts, your US Treasury bonds, your high quality corporate bonds to actually go up in price because there's a flight of money from the riskier stuff to the perceived safer stuff for a short period of time uh, while everyone panics about the stock market. Now, so that made perfect sense. Now, the trouble is, you know, if 40% of your money, let's say, is put into bonds and you're making less than zero or something very close to zero that's less than inflation then most of the time, that's dead money. Most of the time, that's costing you money or making you very little. And why would you do that? Why would you have 40% or sometimes more of your money in something that's a losing bet? So achieving diversification and getting good returns is quite hard when the bond market is so suppressed in terms of the yields or in a bubble, if you like, uh, in terms of prices. Um, so people have to think harder. And, you know, I think having a bit of gold is a good thing to do. Gold, gold miners. I think having cash, a bit of cash aside most of the time, just in case the market, the stock market does collapse. And then you can use that cash to scoop up bargains in good quality companies when the prices are very attractive. And then you'll make lots of money coming out of the other side. But it does make it harder. It means you have to scratch your head a bit and, and think harder about where you're going to put your money than in the old days. Unfortunately, it seems from reading, you know, um, some of the public columns and talking to people that financial advisors will often tell people still um, to have quite a bit in bonds, you know, reading around, talking to people, whatever. Um, and particularly as people age, they're, they're encouraged still in these sort of lifestyle funds and whatnot to have more and more and more in bonds as they approach retirement or get or are in retirement. But if you're going to be retired for 20 years, why would you have almost all your money in something that's yielding less than zero or zero or half a percent or whatever the number is, some pathetic yield? Why would you do that for 20 years? That's crazy. Um, you know, OK, so in theory, it's lower risk in the sense that 
the price of volatility may be a bit lower and the government isn't going to not give you pounds back, although the pounds you get might be worth a lot less when you get them. But it, that doesn't strike me as a very low risk uh, approach to investing, especially in today's world where inflation is starting to tick up and potentially we get into some quite interesting numbers over the rest of this year and the years that are coming. One of the interesting arguments that, that has baffled me recently for why bonds have reached such extremely low yields, such extremely high prices, is a momentum argument. It's the idea that traders are buying these things in the hope and the assumption that the price will continue to go up. What I don't understand about that is that bonds mature. So if you do overshoot on, on the upside, first of all, at some point, there's definitely going to be a reckoning. You know, on a, on a share or on a cryptocurrency, theoretically at least, they can go up forever because they last forever, but bonds mature. So at some point, there has to be a reckoning. But more importantly, doesn't this bake some sort of bond crisis into the cake, whenever that may be? Doesn't there have to be a reckoning at some point? And, and to be clear, when it comes to the bond market, when we say reckoning, we mean defaults, bankruptcies, a recession, unemployment, companies going bust. So it's a much more serious topic than just a, a crash in the stock market. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's worth explaining just how you can even have a negative yield bond, I mean, or how it, how it first happened. So, you know, let's say 15 years ago, somebody issued a bond. So they, they would issue, each bond had a face value of £100, let's say, and it paid a 5% yield. So every year you'd expect to make 5% uh, or £5 of coupon on that £100 loan. But as, as we've got to this situation where yields have been pushed down and down and down and down and down, and investors will accept uh, lower and lower yields, what that means is that, is that the price of the bonds has now gone so high above 100 that it will now, as it, as it approaches the maturity date, so let's say originally it was a 30-year bond, uh, we're now 15 years in, the price may have gone up so high now that as it, as it uh, matures and, and goes closer and closer to the maturity date, it goes back to 100 because you're going to get 100 back on the, on the day it matures. So now the price will fall. You'll still get your five pounds interest every year, but the price will fall over time and that gives you your negative yield. So that, that's how that can even happen or how it had, has happened in the first place. Um, as for who buys this stuff? I mean, why, why would anyone buy something that yields a negative amount? Now, it, I did touch on this, but essentially banks are sort of forced to because the way that uh, capital regulations to stop them going bust again in theory, work. They have to hold lots of what are called highly liquid um, assets. And a large part of that inevitably has to be things like government bonds. So they, they just sit on you know, vast, vast quantities of this stuff. And as their balance sheets grow, and the reason, by the way, the reason they have those liquid assets is the idea is that if they get into financial trouble in the future, or there's another sort of financial panic, they can liquidate that stuff really quickly, turn it into cash and pay depositors who are, who are taking their deposits out of the bank. So you don't get a, or if there is a bank run, they've got the funds to sort of deal with at least the initial part of that. Then you've got insurance companies. They have to hold massive amounts of uh, these sort of liquid assets, again, for solvency regulations. And you have pension funds, which are, again, they're very, very heavily uh, encouraged to hold uh, these sort of lower risk assets that match up income from the, pay, the, the cash payments to their future, uh, their future, um, pension liabilities, so the payments they have to make to retirees. So all of those, all of those groups are sort of 
really, really pushed into owning bonds, even though they make no financial sense from an investment perspective, particularly, unless, you know, unless you believe we're going to get, um, you know, a decade of deflation, which seems almost uh, impossible to expect when uh, central banks are, uh, will create so much, so many vast amounts of money uh, on a whim um, by this QE mechanism. So I, I've actually I've actually forgotten what the original part of your question was now. <laughs> I'm just trying to get at the fact that in the stock market, when you have a bubble, the price goes up, the price goes down. In the bond market, that shouldn't happen because the, the short-term trading momentum bidding up, which, which continues that, that bubble, the momentum on the upside, the reckoning is baked into the cake because the bond matures, as you described. So at some point, the price has to fall from 130 pounds back to 100. Everyone knows that it has to happen by definition. Other assets, that's not necessarily the case. So, so it's even more absurd in the bond market than in other markets to have this huge momentum, you know, momentum-driven bubble going up. Um, and also, the consequences of the crash afterwards are much more severe. Well, yeah, I mean that's 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 right. So, so in a in a stock market bubble. You you have what you know you might have what's called the greater fool theory. So people may know that they're in a bubble, but they're still expecting someone else, a greater fool, to come along and pay even more for something you know down the line in a few weeks or months or or even years. Uh, in a bond market bubble, you absolutely when when yields are negative or below in, or real yields so versus inflation, even when they're negative, you know pretty much that you're going to lose. So it, it it's essentially so apart from those groups which are sort of forced or or sort of have to own this stuff almost. If you're just an investor going in, you'll literally have to be making a bet on there being a greater fall or somebody that's more desperate to own bonds than you in the future. You have, you have to, that has to happen. It's not, it's not a sort of guess that that's going to happen or a hope. It has to happen. So you might, you might do okay for a short time. You might be the one that's holding the bonds when the stock market crashes and you get that blip and you make a little bit of money and then you move on. But somebody between here and the maturity date, when there's negative yield, somebody is left holding the baby and has to take a loss. And it might be you or it might be the next guy, but somebody has to make a loss. It's guaranteed. And that's what's fascinating. Um, but it is what it is. And it, it shows what a sort of crazy world we, we currently live in. And, and it's, a, it's a challenge for investors, as I said, because you still want to be diversified, but you don't want to be, in my opinion, in bonds. I, personally, I don't own a single one. Well, that, that ruins the end of, of, uh, of the video for me because my, my closing question was going to be, should bonds still be part of people's portfolio? But you've already answered the question very well. Rob, Thanks for joining me and I hope you enjoyed this at home as well.